We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 530 of The Voice on the Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me from the League of Lowdown is the Barcelona correspondent, Roman Dearcare. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dan, for having me again. Although this time under, we could say, unfortunate circumstances, of course, given what happened the other day with Gabi. But it's always good to be on the show and talking about Barcelona, which is uh, one of the things I love the most. Yeah, that's... The silver lining is that we still enjoy Barcelona. It still happens regardless of the players that are on the field. But of course, yeah, you came on. When I first invited you on, it seemed like things were going to be really simple. Keep things light during the international break, preview the next batch of games, talk about midfield rotations. But that's all been completely thrown out the window because today's whole thing is about the devastating news of Gavi's injury. But before we start talking about how this will affect Barcelona this season, I just want to talk about how it will affect Gavi his future and what he means, because again, he is a huge part of Barcelona's future with all the injuries to Pedri and even Araujo. There was almost a safe bet that Gabi was going to be the most important player in the next 10 years. As crazy as that sounds, as good as some of the others are, Gabi, you circled him as saying, there's no way that that guy is not in the starting lineup of Barcelona for the next 10 years, which is still very possible. But the official update that came out on the test carried out this morning on first team, this is the club's official statement, test carried out on Monday morning on the first team player, Gavi. I've shown that he has a complete tear of the anterior cruciate ligament in his right knee. That's an ACL, of course, and an associated injury to the lateral meniscus, which that is related to an MCL. The player will have surgery in the coming days, after which a new medical update will be released. And we know throughout, I mean, all the injuries that occur to ACLs, to MCLs, that the recovery time and process for this is much different than it was even, we're talking seven, eight, nine years ago, that now it looks to be recovery times of seven to nine months. For some players, it depends. Some can come back to who they were, almost 98% of who they were. Some, they never get back to who they were. Some take, you know, they can come back in a month and be back to who they were. And then some also can get back to who they were after six to eight months to a year. The, the, the frustrating part, I mean, all of us became doctors, of course. I see a lot of PhDs on Twitter or X, whatever, about meniscus injuries and ACLs and all that stuff. Um, but what we do know is that the meniscus part of that is a bit of a scare, depending on where the ligament damage and how that, that, that is repaired. Anything related to cartilage, like with Ansu Fati, that is a worry. Again, that is MCL related. So that is what you worry about. And that people have also thrown out mentioning Xavi's ACL tear and officially what he did when he came back as the best case scenario. Obviously, <laughs> best case scenario, become one of the top 10, arguably top 10 
midfielders of all time after dealing with that ACL injury. Now, Xavi was a year or two older or three years older than Gabi when he dealt with that injury, but we know that Gabi is obviously going to miss the rest of this campaign with Barcelona. He's also now a major doubt for the Euro 2024 and the Olympic Games with Spain next summer. But I can, I mean, you're there in Barcelona. I can only imagine that if he were able to come back for, let's say, the Olympics or something, that the Kool-Aids would absolutely riot, that they would go to the Olympic Games and they would basically push that march backwards. You know how they have like the march out for the Olympic Games or the torch? Mm-hmm. I assume Kool-Aids are just going to create a wall and just push the, the Spanish national team back that way if they tried to throw him into Spanish yeah. uh, duty before he was back in a Barcelona uniform next season. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see that happening. I honestly think that he's going to come back for next season already. Hopefully he'll have some time to to get involved in the preseason and get some form. But, I mean, it all depends, as you said, on every player. It's so different. And we'll have to see how he recovers. Uh, but we do know that uh, Gabi is, is a fighter, you know, uh, not just on the field, but uh, everyone says that, you know, on the field he has that same mentality. And I'm sure that he's going to uh, do his best to recover as, as best he can because he's... He's an important player and he also loves the club. He loves playing football, you know, as well as his passion. And of course, given those circumstances, I know he's going to do whatever it takes to, to get back in, in the best shape possible. Also, one of his, well, his most recent posts on Instagram was actually images of him celebrating in Barcelona with the two hearts in blue and red, you know. So, I mean, it, he, he, he strives for Barcelona, he strives for football and um, he's going to do whatever it takes. And I'm sure... I'm sure and I trust that he will be back to a good level. We'll have to see because, of course, every case is different. also depends on what style of football each player plays. Some depend more on speed. Some depend more on, on twisting and turning and, and being more technical. So, obviously, Gabi goes more towards that direction. We'll have to see how that can affect his football in the future. Uh, also, the fears he may have returning to the field because I think we also, with Ansu, where he was quite scared to maybe run for those balls at the beginning and, and it kind of dragged on because he developed further injuries because that's another problem when you have an ACL or something like that. When you come back, your muscles aren't as uh, maybe into the rhythm of the competition. So, of course, uh, that's when other muscular injuries take place and it delays your recovery to 100% and it delays your confidence and it's also a very psychological uh, injury because uh, you spend such a long time away from the field, away from from the ball and it's it's really tough and I think that in that sense Gabi is going to suffer a bit because he's going to want to come back as soon as possible and try and start kicking the ball whenever he can but at the same time I'm sure he'll he'll be capable of, of also learning from this you know because uh, I think Luis de la Fuente said after the, the match that Gabi thought that that was the kind of thing that couldn't happen to him he felt like you know apart from that but then it doesn't get to you until you suffer one of these injuries you don't actually realize what you're going through until it happens to you and in a way it's a learning you know he's going to learn from that he's going to probably be a bit different on the field maybe more careful he's going to have the experience of an injury which uh, he didn't have up until now we all know that he was always going 100 percent for every ball or criticizing criticizing him for that uh, others were seeing that as a great uh, feat he had but of course uh, now he's probably going to have to maybe modify slightly the way he faces a game and, and he goes in so i mean it, it's horrible in the sense that it's, it's bad for him it's bad for the club it's bad for his uh, his people and unfortunately we're going to miss an incredibly important player as you said for the future and not present basically I mean he's already been for me one of the best players this season so far in these sorry in this last month or so where we had so many injuries with Frankie with Pedri with Lewandowski etc I think Gabi was one of those players who was stepping up and, and performing quite well uh, despite maybe the, the team not being in its best but uh, I just hope that he 
he takes it easy and he recovers because uh, we want him back and he's very loved here. Yeah, that's going to be such a mentality change for him. I mean, you saw how uh, all the maybe there is some dramatization of this, but it's not. I mean, the emotion, the pain. I mean, he wants to play football. He wants to be on the field, and it, it is true that these players. I mean, especially at that age, he is unaware of, or we'll say he was a bit naive. And all kids are going to be. All kids are naive of of what that the strain of all of that travel and football do on their bodies. And he's going to have to shift that mindset. As you mentioned, I mean, I would give him with the mentality that he has, I give a kid like that 24 hours to be able to flip that switch and say, okay, now my 100% focus is on my recovery. That is what I'm focused on. What do I need to do to get back to this field as fast as I possibly can? And I think once he's able to flip that switch, I mean, there's again, he that's something he has to learn. I mean, that's, that's not something that, again, and it's also fair that to allow these young teenagers to kind of be themselves and to, to kind of just go out there and play, you do give them those green lights and say, hey, who you are is just fine. Go, go out and give 100, 100% because kids don't know any otherwise, you know, except for Ed Hazard. He was the only player who knew otherwise. <laughs> and yet, and yet he still had all those injuries. And I even think of myself again, like I, I'm not, I wasn't a professional athlete. I wasn't traveling or whatever, but all the major injuries that I had, I had like a, a bit, a terrible back injury when I was like 16, 17 playing the sport. And I had a, a groin injury when I was like 19, 18, 19 that required, well, should have required surgery, but they misdiagnosed. I didn't have it. Right. So, but that was like nine, 10 months where I was, on, I was off the field and mm-hmm. I could, I had to walk with a cane. It was just, it was miserable, but all my major injuries other than the concussions in my athletic career came between the ages of 16 and 20 when I was really, I mean, I was pushing, I was pushing, I was playing you know, three different sports throughout the, the school year and then summer stuff. And right. And it just, it wasn't stopping. It was just like, okay, great. You know, and that's when I could jump the highest. That's when can I run the fastest. And that's where physically you could do all these things and you're not restricted by time and age. And yet now 10, 15 years on from some of that stuff, while those injuries, those long-term injuries are gone, still my, my, my body's like, Hey, you can't do that. You can't do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, and that's 10, 15 years having played, and doing what I've done at such a lower, 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 lower level. Like, so imagine that, imagine taking that and putting yourself on flights and buses and, and now you're in training every day and you're, yes, the science and the, the medical stuff is, and, and trainers and you're, you know, they're, they are, have access to technology and medical understanding that is far superior from what, <laughs> what I would, or what you would ever had at, at our levels, but that yeah. still doesn't stop playing all that, running around, and what that does on the human body. And now when we're assigning blame here for, for this, I think oh, it's, it's tough, right? Because I think obviously Barcelona fans really piling on Luis de la Fuente because Gabi, because Gabi had played basically every 90 minute for Spain that Luis de la Fuente could have played him in. And on the back of the Rubiales stuff and his support from him and, and, and surviving, right? The off the field stuff for de la Fuente as well that I think it's easy for Kool-Aid to just kind of pile on him and say, why was Gabi playing against a match that Spain had already qualified for when you have a, a big team to rotate? Um, but his, not to say counter-argument to that, but his argument was that he, because Gabi had missed through suspension the game before the international break, that he yeah. was more than rested. He was in fine condition. They weren't too worried about him. And he had had almost basically a week and a half off before playing in those two matches. But over the course of this big season, he did not play preseason, to your point, and then he comes in, immediately starts with Barca, only missing two games, and both of those came through suspension. But missing Pedri and missing De Jong even meant the time on the field. There was just an increased intensity. The games that Barcelona are playing are intense games. 
And we're talking then about the total amount of games. If, if let's say Barcelona is cruising, that's probably a less physical toll on the Barcelona players than it is for all these games that Barcelona are just one nothing. Those two ones, like emotionally. I mean, you know, when, when you're nervous, when there's pressure, everything gets a little tighter. And physically, that takes a toll on you. But in totality, the Liga Michael had this on, on X. Between the Supercopa in Saudi Arabia, that Barcelona and Real Madrid, just again, for money's sake, are guaranteed to be a part of. And then the Champions League being soon to be expanded is going to make this worse. The Club World Cup that's changing, it's going to make it worse. The preseasons and all that travel is worse. It used to be, you know, back in my day, you'd only go to either Japan or to the United States or something, but you do that every like three, four years. And now it seems like they do part of the preseason in Japan. They do part of the preseason in Catalonia, the first part, and then they do part of the preseason in the United States or somewhere else. And that's how quickly you're just jumping ahead with these things, traveling around the world for your preseason as you're kind of getting up to fitness. There's also these mid-season friendlies in the middle of the season, including the one that they're about to play in a month's time in the United States against Club America. Just, what is it, 27 hours after they play in, in the Liga, which is insane, right? It's just, and, and then even the international competitions, the UEFA Nations League, all that being added to this list, the top-level football players, I, I mean, it's no surprise that they're, they're dropping like flies. And the problem with all that, and I'm not asking you to solve it here, <laughs> but I think the issue is that because they've added more games and tried to make more games matter and tried to create more revenue and more excitement around these different games, because, again, who cares about club friendlies or whatever, but, I mean, our, our preseason friendlies for international whatever, that is it that's not, you get what I'm saying, that's not World Cup or non Copa America, whatever, but to make those games matter even more, you have to you know, raise the stakes and add additional matches to, to create new competitions and all that stuff. But my problem, I mean, again, I'm in the United States. So if anybody knows this about, about all owners and whatever, putting off more than they can chew, once you have those matches, once you make additional revenue, once they fill those stadiums with even half-filled stadiums, it's hard to then erase those matches. You know what I mean? Like how many competitions can you think of that they've eliminated. When we do history of Barcelona, the Intercity Fairs Cup is like the only one I can think of, but that was changed and became the Europa League. Like they, they do change these competitions, but very rarely do you see competitions kind of disappear. And I'm when I say this, I mean the last 50 years. Like I believe it was basically around the 70s when after in the 1970s into the 1980s, once competitions were added, they have not been changed. They are added and then additional games are always added. They are not changing these competitions the way they used to when the bottom line wasn't as impactful. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely something that I think needs to be done, but as you said, it's very difficult to, to go back on these things and just uh, uh, change uh, the way it's done because obviously once the money's in your hands, you want that money and you want more. You never want to go 
and get less. So I, and in my case, I think that they would maybe have to try and reformat some of the competitions, find the ways where it doesn't have so much impact on the players. Because also a problem, for example, with the international breaks is that players are training one way with their clubs and then they go and train a different way with uh, national squads because they have a different way of playing, a different way of preparing games, etc. So, I mean, that sometimes has a negative impact on the players. And I read actually a proposal on, on Twitter or X by a user that was saying that maybe they should do some sort of like a qualifier competition at the end of the season, which could be, I don't know, this, uh, this part I'm making up, maybe, I don't know, one month of football where they play, I don't know, two, three games, and there they qualify and they play all the national qualifiers in one go and then they have their time to rest in the summer and then, you know, uh, continue. Obviously, this is just a random idea out of my head, yeah. but it would at least break this, cons- this consistency of going to international breaks, back to football, international breaks, back to football, which is also quite confusing for uh, the football spectator because you're not sure when it's La Liga, when it's uh, national break, when it's that. Everything is just kind of changing. And of course, La Liga are also putting scheduling timetables every week. New t- new schedules are coming out. Everything is pretty pretty chaotic. More games are appearing here. Then you're playing in Saudi Arabia, the Supercopa. Then you're doing this, then you're doing that. They're going to play on the 21st, as you said, in Dallas, another friendly game. I mean, I know the players make a lot of money, but I mean, uh, in the end, this is what happened. It's a bit damaging to the to the entertainment because uh, you lose important players. We're losing Vinicius, we're losing Oyarzabal, Gabi, etc. because of these injuries and because the bodies can't keep up. And I don't know who it was, it was Guardiola or someone or, or Xavi who was comparing the football with, with the NBA, where the NBA, if they don't qualify for the playoffs, they have, I think it's three months, four months or something like that, where they don't do any sport they have full time to recover with their families you know obviously they'll do their their personal trainings and etc to stay in, in shape and all that but then they come back to the season and it's true that they play a lot of games one after the other but at least they have a good break to kind of uh, re reboost you know those the energy and their batteries and, and come back at a good shape which is also maybe another way uh, they could kind of uh, look into the redesigning maybe the, the schedule and the competitions i don't know i mean there's there are definitely options because if they're coming up with new ideas of Champions League and new ideas of, of different competitions, I'm sure they can come up with new ideas to benefit the players. And I think some, someone or somebody has to stand up here because it's true that managers tend to complain, players tend to complain, but it never really goes any further than that. It's as, it, as if FIFA, UEFA, La Liga, etc. were like untouchable. But I mean, if the players decide to go on strike, I'm just saying something completely random. I mean, they're the ones that can actually stop football from happening. I mean, they should maybe take this more seriously. But at the end, I understand it's a business, it's a show, it's complicated. And everyone has their own interests and, and money is always involved. And it's true that footballers are making a ton of cash. So, I mean, uh, and on one hand, some could say that they can't complain. But on the other hand, then these things tend to happen. So hopefully, uh, I mean, I think this season, I can't remember a season where I've seen so many bad injuries of important players, of important leagues. I can't. I'm trying to think back other years, but I don't remember like, you know, Vinicius, Royal Gabi, we had the Frankie, etc. I mean, it's, it's pretty mad this season, it feels like. So maybe this is like a, a warning call, you know, a warning sign where uh, they have to actually try and, and change stuff because honestly, I think uh, something needs to happen or this is going to be more and more common. And then imagine if this would have happened with Messi, with Ronaldo, some of the best players in the history of mm-hmm. football. We would have missed incredible moments, obviously. Uh, they're allowed to get injured and everybody gets injured but it just seems like now it's 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 a bit uh, massified it's happening too often and it's a bit out of control i'd say yeah it's not just barcelona i mean uh, barcelona exactly. were, if anything they were the fortunate ones who had these injuries that were not out for the season where real madrid's injury list at the moment Courtois and Militao, of course out for mm-hmm. the year 
And then Chormani is out right now. Kamavinga out till January. Arda Guler has yet to play. Re-injured himself. Vinicius Jr. is going to be out for a few weeks, apparently. Kepa is out for, I believe, a few weeks now as well. So, I mean, it's not just Barcelona. Real Madrid, they now have the same total number of injuries that Barcelona had three weeks ago before everybody came back, including Koundé and Pedri and De Young still yet to get back. And, and they're huge. And Lewandowski and Rafinha, and that, they're huge injury lists. So let's talk about Barcelona now, this aspect of what this means for Barcelona for the rest of the season. Because I think, yes, in the moment, how devastating an injury is to Gabi, because Barcelona has lost. Here's the true, the true thing here. Barcelona has lost their most impactful player of the season. So I'm not saying best, but I'm saying the player that I can easily say, having only missed two games, is been the most impactful player from start to finish, especially the way that Barcelona have, we'll say, suffered in a lot of their matches. Xavi has consistently called him the heart and soul of the team. And even at 19, I mean, he's not wrong. You watch those matches and he is 19 in age and nothing else about his game is 19. And the devastating part of me for me is that he has matured and improved so much this season in all the nuances of the game. I am just sad for him first and foremost. But the second part of that is that I am legitimately afraid about how this will impact FC Barcelona because they had not yet solved their issues or solved their problems. And they were suffering with the player that is kind of the best player in that suffering because of what, what Gabi does for you in terms of energy, in terms of not even just the tackling, but he's good on the ball. He just, he's good and elite at almost every skill and he's solid all around and was just improving and improving. And, you know, instead of galaxy braining, how Xavi's going to do all this, I think, it's going to be tough because the roles I think are more defined in the midfield to me now. You know, I, the purists and I talked last week about how Xavi's going to, you know, fit all these pieces together and how it's going to work. But now without Gabi, the ripple effects of this are that the idea of going back to that box midfield, that, you know, that was out there. How do you get Gundogan and, and De Jong and Pedri and Gabi on the field together? Oh, it's such a, a good problem to have. But now I think that that changes things completely. And I think Xavi's going to have to basically stick to a 4-3-3 this year with Jao Felix or now Ferran Torres on the left, because I think big games, I'll say quote, 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 unquote, big games. Those are started by Pedri, De Young and Gundogan in the midfield. And then Oro Romeo and Fermin Lopez play the, and start the other games. And if Barca gets a result against Porto and gets the group, that means it's Mark Costado time for our rural Antwerp in the UCL. And there is no more. That guy can't play. I think a lot of people have been throwing out, you know, Hey, we got to keep that guy off the field or whatever, but this is that reminder that we can't keep those two ideas in our head at the same time, that if you play just the best players, the, I mean, and depending on who you ask on social media, of course, if we only play the four players that you trust in FC Barcelona squad and you play them 90 minutes every single game because that's the only players that you trust now, I mean, this is what's going to happen. So that idea of like that guy can't play, it's a reminder that the squad is a squad. It has to be rotated and you put it on Barcelona's financial issues as to why this squad isn't deeper than it probably should have been. Because the, without Gabi, that absence, again, where that rip, that ripples to, I am now worried about Marcos Alonso's defensive issues at left back without Gabi. Gabi did cover for him at times, going to the left. You know, the, how many times he did three like, goal line saves or whatever it was that Gabi's had this year coming from the middle of the park down to the left side, covering either for Balde or Alonso. I'm worried about Orrume without Gabi. All the hard work that Gabi does, not only without the ball for or remain covering that space, but also helping in buildup when things weren't really working, coming back and being that other, we'll say even third pivot with, if Gundogan's pushing forward. And I'm now worried about Kunde without Gabi, the number of ways that, that Gabi cuts down on counters, takes those yellows the way he does and does protect Kunde and why Kunde was so good before his injury. 
And I'm worried about, I have a whole list about Ike Gundogan, of course. Like Gundogan was finally looking okay with Gabi. And now that chemistry experiment that, that was happening with him, you reset that now with Pedri and De Jong. And you hope that, hey, Gundogan hasn't looked good. It's now been two and a half months. He has not looked as good as he was for Man City. So now you've got to do that chemistry test again with Pedri and De Jong without Gabi. And if Vita Roque does happen in January to be the backup center forward, that means that Ferran Torres, who is probably best as the backup in the middle, he's now on the left wing, I, th- I think, with Jao Felix. And then you're going to ask a lot of Rafinha and Lamini Mall, of course, but now it's time for Ferran Torres and Rafinha to really step up. Now it is time for the forwards to just be the forwards. Ferran Torres, Rafinha, Jao Felix has got to figure it out again. Those three in particular, they have got to just be good. You know, they've, they've got to get back to what they're best because now I think we're, without Gabi, going to be looking a lot more at the forwards and say, hey, the midfield is not, they don't have the legs to rescue you as much as they did with Gabi. So now you forwards have to do your job. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and you, you summed it up pretty well. Gabi is, is a key piece, I think, in this team, is key player for, for Xavi. And, and there isn't really a replacement out there. I read the reports uh, today saying that uh, maybe they were considering not bringing in Victor Roque so soon and maybe looking for someone who can play in, in Gabi's position and the name that came up was Lo Celso, which personally I think he's a great technical player but of course he doesn't provide the same maybe defensive intensity that uh, Gabi might be able to so I think it could help obviously to have a deeper squad etc but at the same time I think Gabi is kind of irreplaceable and we'll have to see I mean there are definitely solutions I, we, we still have plenty of good players in midfield it's just a matter of making them work but i can't think of any that, provided you said that, extra defensive push that Gabi does. And people used to love to talk about box-to-box players. I think Gabi kind of was a re- reflection of that. He was good in attack. He's good in defense. He's everywhere. You know, he comes running up and down. He never gives up. He's fighting till ev- for every single ball. And that's a characteristic. You don't find that often, I guess, in, in too many players. And, of course, it's going to be very difficult. I, I don't see many options in that sense so it's kind of restructuring a bit that midfield and seeing how weak we have been this year defensively uh, compared to the last uh, it is a bit worrying because as you said uh, whether it's Marcos Alonso or whether it's uh, Balde or whether it's uh, Joao Cancelo or whoever's playing you know we always know that uh, having a player like Gabi gives you certain confidence knowing that someone's got your back whereas now I mean Frankie Leon might have your back now and then but I don't think it's going to be the same as, as having Gabi there or Oriol Romeo pretty much the same so it's it's a big blow we'll have to see what what the team needs I think Xavi will definitely push for a replacement uh, there's no doubt because we always know how important he says Xavi, um, Gabi is and, and keeping that in mind it feels like he's going to want another piece and he's always pushing for extra players he was always asking for more and definitely they're going to try and bring someone we'll see what happens maybe in the end they decide betting on a Casador or maybe another youngster in, in, in the Barca Academy or someone who's been already having minutes with the first team, but find it difficult that that will maybe be enough for, for Xavi. And as you said, also the attacking players are going to have to provide a bit more defensively, not just an attack, of course, which they're already missing a bit. We're already expecting more from this team because we, we've heard a lot of criticism because in the end it's true that Barca aren't maybe playing to the level expected this season, seeing how the summer transfer market went where you brought in the plenty of quality. It's true that we don't have the deepest squad, but we do have a very strong squad. But of course, the injuries have been a problem and they're just going to keep being a problem apparently throughout the whole season. I mean, it was already tough to have uh, Lewandowski, Frenkie, uh, Kunde, Pedri, etc. at the same time injured. And now when it seems like you're recovering your key pieces, you're going to, Xavi's going to be able to count on all his important players. 
this happens to Gabi, we'll have to see what happens with Ter Stegen. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough. So, I mean, it, it's hard. And, and Xavi, who's under a lot of criticism now, has an even tougher job, you know, because now he can't depend on one of his more important players to fight through this situation and then come back stronger, you know. So, I mean, I think as Barca fans, we have to kind of understand this situation. Uh, for me, changing a bit the subject, sorry, I think that Xavi is going to finish the season no matter what, unless, of course, there's a horrible streak of uh, 10 defeats or 5 defeats or 6 or whatever, and they have to change him because it's just unsustainable, okay. But if not, he's going to stay there. He just won us a league, you know, after so many years. He's done important things despite the team maybe not playing to the levels we all expect. So I think we have to trust Xavi, give him confidence in these uh, tough moments, especially without important players, and hopefully uh, he'll come up with solutions because now it's going to be tougher still because it's not ending. It's a, it's a tough job being a manager at, at FC Barcelona. Yeah, to hit on two of the points that you said about the financial aspect of this, FIFA apparently will have to compensate Barcelona with uh, 20,548 euros for each day that Gabi will be out for since he got injured while on international duty because that was not at the club. Payment will begin 28 days after the player got injured and could last for a year maximum. But in totality, though, that's not much at all. Like it, it only actually comes out to a few million. Yeah, it's something. It's something for Barcelona, but it's just like it's not something you celebrate or I even think about or be concerned with. And then according to Mundo Deportivo, even though Barca are exceeding their salary limit, which is still a problem for Barcelona, remember, they will potentially be allowed to sign a replacement the way that Martin Brothwaite came to the club two years ago. They were potentially will be allowed to sign a replacement for Gambi as long as he receives a maximum of 80% of Gabi's salary until the end of the season. And those players are out there in the Liga. But again, like what is the level that you're talking about? Like uh, Gabi, I, and I was thinking about this. I'm not sure if it's going to hurt or help Barcelona because Gabi's got a pretty, we'll say, team friendly salary. Like he, he just still 19. That huge payday that was expected didn't really come the way that it did for Ansu Fati mm-hmm. for Gabi. So Gabi is making, uh, we'll say, undervalue based on what Gabi is. So to find a player that gives you even 80% of what, what Gabi does on the field is probably going to cost more than 80% of Gabi's salary. That, so that, that's, I, I think, what you're finding with, with that problem. And it also would not work for Vitor Roque because it would have to count for Gal- Gabi's salary this year. But Vitor Roque, because he signed a contract for multiple years, that does not help bring Vitor Roque into the club. So mm-hmm. we can throw that idea. And to your point about, about Xavi as well, this injury is at, at a time where it's Rio on, uh, on the weekend, on Saturday, but then it's Porto, Atletico Madrid, and Girona. And Barcelona's entire season could be defined by the next three weeks. And there's this weird thing where now a month from now, I'm sitting at the end of December and I'm like, wait a second, the season is half over. Because you know, depending on how you do in Europe, and of course, getting to the next round of the Champions League. But let's say Barcelona get knocked out in the, the first or even the second, the knockouts. Now, every big match that you have could potentially be over by March. I mean, and that's what you're talking about. If you don't win trophies, if you're not getting to the end of these competitions, you could finish up your important matches in two or three months time, even afterwards, right? And then you're still just waiting for seven, eight months of the, the, the transfer. I mean, I can tell you, doing the show in the Kuman years and watching the numbers and the listeners. So shout out to the people who are listening the day after Gabi gets hurt. But in the, the, the Kuman era, when you know the league table was gone and other than the Spanish Super Cup, what was Barcelona fighting for at the time in you know, they getting knocked out of the Champions League whenever, people tuned out in October and November. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, again, this is me looking behind the scenes, but I'm having hard conversations with my family and friends and being like, people are tuning out to the point where it's just like, should I put the pot on hiatus like i mean what should i do about this like behind the scenes like the sheer numbers of people that are exiting and so these next three weeks are obviously for me 
personally, like, it's a horrifying thing because you're like, yeah, I mean, if they lose to Porto, Atletico, Madrid, and Girona, you're like, wait a second, is Barcelona not going to advance in the Champions League group? Is Barcelona already off the pace against Atletico Madrid and Girona as well as Real Madrid, right? Like, is the, is the Liga gone in the middle of December? <laughs> is, right, is the Champions League over? And, and, and that's the big scary questions that Xavi is having to answer. And I think that's what also makes Gabi's, I mean, Gabi's devastating injury from the Gabi perspective is worst case scenario. It makes me very, very sad. He's 19. Will we ever see Gabi again? That's really sad. But then I couple that with like what that means for Barcelona in the next three weeks. Like, can they survive this next three weeks? There's a chance that their season is over too. And now I'm like, okay, well now I have to wait seven to nine months until both Gabi comes back and matches matter for FC Barcelona. I mean, that is worst case scenario. So I, I just want to tell people like, I fully understand. I'm not trying to be overtly optimistic, but what I will say is that losing Gabi at this juncture, almost everybody has come back. And Barcelona, as every big, big team has to do, just like Real Madrid, if they win the league without Courtois and Eder Militao, those injuries, you know, those can be ex used excuses if they don't make it. But if they just win the title in the, in the league or whatever, then, you know, they're going to have done it on the back of having lost those players for the full year without those excuses. So the same thing with Barcelona. Gabi is gone, but Xavi, this will matter. This is an excuse if things don't work out. But you still have to say, you have to at least fight. Like the fight from the rest of everybody else. Like for Gabi even. Like it's emotional. Like yeah. do it for Gabi. Get there. I do have a question. Speaking of Xavi as we end the show, uh, it was a leftover listener question show for, uh, question from last week from Alex. Are you more concerned with Xavi's tactics or squad management throughout a game? Alex says he often sometimes seems to get out coached against quality teams but the team has given up two goals in the first 30 seconds this season. That plus getting completely outplayed by some inferior opponents indicates the players might not be prepared for matches. But yeah, so is it, is it the tactics coming in, the preparedness, or the general squad management? I've weighed in on this many times, but I'd love to hear your opinion. <laughs> well, I think in the end, both are kind of linked in a way, you know, because preparing a match uh, should cover both, both aspects. But uh, honestly, I do have certain doubts, especially with, with his tactics. It does feel like maybe there hasn't been this improvement that mm, you would expect after two years, which is maybe an argument that many are, are defending at the moment, those that are doubting more uh, respect, respecting, uh, regarding Xavi, sorry. Uh, but we also have to keep in mind he's, he's been a manager for such a short period of time. This is his first uh, European experience as a manager, his first big experience. It's true that he was a player, he was coached by the best managers, but it's very different to be managing a club, uh, sorry, a team or a club than to be actually playing for good team or, or good manager etc I mean it's a completely different thing and here's where Xavi I think does need to start showing that he is you know gaining new concepts new ideas improving we have seen definitely differences in the way for example he plays or Barca used to play five six seven years ago where the, uh, he likes to go more maybe more direct long balls a lot of crosses maybe too many we could say for us a more purists who love the, the classic uh, one-touch football but I mean in the end, he has to find his own personality, his own way of playing football. And we have seen games where Barca have played very good football. I've seen them this season. Well, this season, maybe fewer. Maybe Betis is a good example. Antwerp is a good example. But last year, there, there were plenty of good games. The problem is there's a lack of consistency. If he can find that consistency and play at that level at a regular basis, then we will have fewer problems and Xavi won't be as criticized. But the problem is, I don't know what's exactly missing, that he's not capable of ma maintaining or sustaining that a good level of football in a long period of time, in a long streak. And so if he can kind of find a way to, to solve that, then, of course, uh, there would be an improvement. And also a lot of 
criticism was going towards Xavi's team that maybe they weren't a best team he was he could be surrounded with or maybe there are better uh, second coaches because of course he's with his brother question marks on whether his brother is good enough I mean those doubts are always going to be there Xavi in the end has to know what's best for him and has to decide what he considers is going to help and help the team and regarding in terms of substitutions and reacting in matches it's true also that he has made mistakes but I think he has improved in that aspect at least personally I remember last season games where we would make some subs where you think this isn't going to improve the game at all you know this is probably going to make it worse and it did happen and it still has happened sometimes and it's true that usually his subs are more offensive based especially when he's losing or he's drawing you know it's more about bringing in attackers and, and packing it all up in attack and hoping for something and it has worked out many times so in a way I mean the good thing is that this team has a kind of different mentality we could say and I think that's maybe something that Xavi has managed to teach or, or transmit to his players you know that uh, we have had incredible comebacks like the Celta de Vigo comeback I was in the stadium and I mean I was it was one of the best games I've ever been to in the sense of the, the atmosphere and how the team managed to recover and I mean there's other games where we were losing or drawing and we at least snatched a point here or there and you know that I kind of felt like that is something we didn't have a few years ago where we would kind of give up and we're losing and it felt like no matter what we did we would never come back in any way so I mean that's changed a bit so sorry for going on a bit but uh, in the end I do think that personally where he lacks a bit more of development is probably in terms of, of tactics for me. Never, ever, ever apologize for going on a long rant and talking to <laughs> my show. <laughs> Never. Every guest is allowed to go as long as you possibly want because, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't cast, I don't throw stones in a glass house about, about long rants at all. But yeah, to your point, I, I think when looking about, you know, we'll say big picture about multiple results and consistency, that's the word that, that sticks out to me that even though Real Sociedad has less points in the Liga than Barcelona, you watch them from week to week. And even if they lose a match, they have, you almost call that a one-off because then you go in the next midweek in the Champions League, they have been the best team in their, in their group, which is harder than Barcelona's group. They've been the best team there. And you watch them from week to week in the Liga and you are expecting them to outplay their opponent. And they have been better almost week after week, even when the results didn't happen and go their way like against Barca. And Barca played worse, got the result. And to that point, Barcelona are unbeaten in all but two matches still. They lost two matches this season, Real Madrid and Shakhtar Ness. But to your point, would Kules take, and I think maybe they would, I think for the rest of this season, they want results, of course. Kules want results. But if Barcelona is winning matches and winning matches and, and just playing better than their opposition, and then they get shocked, right? There's a shock result. They, lose, they drop three points to whoever. And it's, gosh darn, like it, it's a shock result. I think Kules would rather just go insane about two results in a month that were just bad, where they were just outplayed and something shock happened, but be consistently better than their opposition throughout the remainder of those times, because with that consistency and Barcelona's depth, you do expect that, again, we also see that have been very, 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 very good. Like, could, could, are they playing to their ceiling? Probably. That might be their ceiling. But with the talent that Barcelona has, their ceiling, if they had that consistency, now you are competing for the Liga, even if you're getting shocked now and again by a bad result. And I think Kules would take that any day of the week to, instead of take those draws or whatever, turn those draws into victories and then add an additional loss. And over the course of the, the season, what is it? You're, you're, you're losing. Yeah. You're gaining two more points in three spots instead of gaining one point, And then you're taking away one point at, at other, at our occasion. So, I mean, I know that's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. The numbers, you can't count through the match, but to that point of consistency, I think that's what Kool-Aid more than anything else want to see from Xavi and his squad because it just hasn't been consistent. As you mentioned, those five O's now 
you thought that, oh, Barcelona consistently going to play, not with five O's, but at a level that is high it, from back-to-back matches, can they continue that on? And that has not been the case. All right, last two things. These are good news. This is, this is good stuff. Even though now there's a cloud for me over the Spain U17 team, because as exciting as all those players are, I'm like, now I don't want to see them in the first team. You keep them out of the first team for another, because these kids even are 17 year, uh, 17, 16, some of them, 16, 17, 18 years old. Now I don't want to see them at all. Like leave them out of the first team. But Mark Agu and Kim Juniette help send the Spain U17s to the quarterfinal of the U17 World Cup in Indonesia. Remembering that there are eight Barca players in that squad and all of them, but, but Mark Bernal, who I've talked about, I find him other than Pau Gabarsi with some of the highest potential in all of the academy. Seven of the eight, Bernal being the exception, started against Japan in the quarterfinals. Now it's either Noah Darvich in Germany or the United States, who should have had Adrian Gill and Diego Cochin if they weren't injured in the semifinals, but I think to get to the semifinals. So yeah, it's going to be the Germany, United States against Spain in the semis. And even if they lose in the semifinals, and that means, is it Darvich or even United States? I mean, obviously United States U17, it's not like I'm really, really following that team or caring how the result does. But yeah, for me, it's like, it's been a positive World Cup. And I think for the Barca players, they have all been just as important as you'd wanted them to be. And this is an invaluable international experience for them at, at a young age. And so I, I think, you know, all thumbs up all around. And then the other thing, as I'll let you kind of respond to both these at the same time, Barca Femini destroyed the Real Madrid in the Women's Clasico. 5-0, a little Manita action, though I do question if you want to call that an El Clasico because they, they still get better fights even from Madrid CFF. Goals by Aitana, CGH, Mariona, Claudia Pina, and Vicky Lopez, the youngster. Shots were 20-3, 9-0 shots on target, 66% possession, 300 more passes, utter dominance, and again, doing it without an injured Alexi Buteas for the time being. So Barcelona still very much on top when it comes to the women's game in Spain. Yeah, it's, always, it's good news. I mean, given, of course, the Gabby situation, all the injuries and how the first team suffering, it's always good to hear these kind of pieces coming up from, from other parts of the club. And, of course, uh, in terms of the youngsters, I mean, we, we, we know that there's always, always a lot of talent there. I mean, we have to take good care of La Masia because out of there we're going to get the future Gabbys, the future Lamines, the future Pedris, even though we know that Pedri didn't come from there. But, you know, players that have that kind of talent and those qualities. And uh, hopefully they can keep, you know, uh, getting good results and... It's true that sometimes we we see the need to play them maybe sooner than expected. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But I mean, I was actually listening to an interview earlier on to a physiotherapist that used to work in Barcelona, and he was saying that these kids are prepared for this. They're prepared to actually be ready to be called up at any certain point to play with the first team, you know, to, to, to face the toughest of challenges. And that's why it's always... Good to hear that they're succeeding at their level because you never know when they're going to need to be called up, as we saw not long ago with Gil giving us that uh, crucial goal. You know, So, I mean, it's always uh, great news to hear. And regarding the women's team, they're just at another level. I mean, it's called a Clásico because uh, Madrid, when they created the club, they generated this hype as if they're going to be our new rival. The marcas and newspapers saying that football, women's football is going to change with Madrid's arrival. Well, I mean, they wanted all that... A repercussion, there you go. We're going to call it Clásico, and this is going to come up in the history books of all the Clásicos and seeing how Barca was so uh, more dominant than them. And, of course, I mean, these women are just outstanding uh, playing football. We've seen it not just with the national team also, where, of course, uh, they succeeded in, in reigning and, and getting the maximum trophy and were Barca players. Let's not be a, say, and we're not saying anything that's not true, but most of the Barca players were very influent in in how the team would play and how they delivered and how uh, they ended up getting good results like it happened back in the days when Spain 
also won the World Cup. You know, I mean, Barca had a big influence in the way they played and, and the football and the players they provided. So it's great to see them doing so well, dominating. It does maybe get a bit boring, I guess. You kind of question yourself how they keep motivated to play at this level, to keep winning. It's true. I mean, it's true that maybe in the Champions League there is a bit more of uh, levels that are similar, uh, sorry, teams at a similar level. But in the domestic league, it must be difficult to stay motivated year after year. Even in the days with Pep Guardiola when we're winning everything, I remember as a fan, I was so used to it. At some point, I didn't enjoy it as I did at the beginning, you know. So, I mean, uh, I give a lot of credit to those, to those young women who are doing incredibly well in, in, in you know, staying consistent and playing fantastic football and making us proud, you know. So, at least we're having good, good news on that end. Yeah, I mean, there's also, again, young players, too, with Vicky Lopez still just, what, 17 years old and getting a bigger spot. And you're seeing also another teenager, I believe she's 17 now, from Italy, Gianna Dragoni, also entering the squad. And, I mean, look at the way that Catacole just exploded, World Cup winner. So, it's, for me, it's exciting because the Femini have both some of the best players in the world at international level or, you know, in their 20s and in the peak of their careers. But also, they're 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 still finding time because of we'll say the lack of competition in Spain and those minutes are being used for good for useful reasons and to be able to get Vicky Lopez in a place like El yeah. Clasico which again like competition wise yeah Real Madrid yeah maybe someday they'll, they'll get there but Barcelona is so much far beyond them but it still matters like it's a match that has pressure that the feminine especially like there's some nerves going into that match like if we don't win this match like that's going to be headline news, right? Real Madrid has arrived, right? So I think there is some pressure there. Uh, the last thing I'm going to end the show with, it's just a little last point about Gabi. I knew I had written it down over the summertime when I was talking about Pedri, how he was Barcelona's best player in the 2022-23 season, to my opinion. But Gabi played more minutes than every other midfielder in Barcelona last season at an 18-year-old, 3,285 minutes. And so when I do talk about the U17 kids, whether they're 16, 17, 18, whatever it is, I'm not worried about them coming up with the first team. Mark Yu has played, what has he played? Like 27 total minutes or something with the first team and scored a goal. But like, I'm not worried about them making those appearances, those, those rare appearances. But Gabi at 18 played 30, almost 3,300 minutes. That's the concern. The Pedri concern when he played now two years ago, when he played, what was it? 78% of all total minutes possible for Spain and Barcelona. And the only reason he didn't play more is because he was hurt. He was hurt for the other 22% of time. And he very rarely came out of kind of matches. So my concern is when you're playing Laminia Mall, again, like if he hits 2000 minutes, that's a worry. And that's why I say Ferran Torres and Rafinha, you've got to step up because even if Laminia Mall is starting the big matches, even if he's better than Rafinha, that's fine. Like Rafinha has to get over that. But Rafinha, you better be good enough that you limit Lamine Ball to 2,000 minutes. Because that is, the. I mean, even with Vita Roque, the same thing. Lewandowski, Ferran Torres, be better than an 18-year-old kid to the point where he doesn't have to play, even for Vita Roque now for the remainder of the season, 1,400 minutes. Like, he's coming back from an injury as well. So if he comes to Barcelona in January, which you said, is still, we're saying hypothetically, but if he hypothetically comes in January, yes, he's going to be tough enough to get, you want to see him on the field. They have to have enough minutes to develop. But there is that number where if you're 16, somewhere between 1,400 and 2,000 first team minutes, that's probably enough to let a 16-year-old kind of get themselves like warmed up and figured it out. And you said about basketball too, a comparison I make is that think of the number of minutes that players play when they're in high school. And then by the time they hit like almost that midway point of the college season, 
you see a lot of those freshmen kind of wear down because they're not used to playing that many minutes in a basketball season at that level. And then you see the college and they go to the NBA. And that's why they say there's that huge drop off, like right after Christmas, as intensity ramps up, I mean, ramps up as they, all these teams push for the playoffs. That's when those, those rookies, especially the ones who were freshmen the year before in college, kind of have those, they hit those walls, those physical walls and those drop offs. So for these players, it's, it, it does matter. Like, it's not just about this match and this match. I think we get lost. We get lost in the 90 minutes. Like, oh, we need Lamine Mall in this match because he's better than Rafinha. But over the course of a season, you've got to keep all those things in mind. And, and that really, to me, is always the biggest problem or, or idea that Xavi has to go with. Because in the next three weeks, and this is where I'll leave it, is in the next three weeks against Rio, coming back from the international break, you want to make a statement. You want to get a win. You want to get the three points. That's essential, right? But then you immediately look ahead at your schedule and you go, uh-oh, right after Rio, then it's Porto. So is Pedri starting on, on, on Saturday? Is De Young starting on Saturday? Is Lamini Mall starting on Saturday? I'd say the answer is no. But again, if you're, if you're Xavi, you're like, I can't just go with or Romeo and Ferran Torres. And of course, Javaux is going to play, but like, right. I can't go with like my B rotation yeah. against Rio because we just came back from the international break and we've got to get to the three points, but no, you don't. Like you do need to get to three points against Rio, but also it's Porto Atletico Madrid next. So Pedri, yeah, he just can't start. Or Romeo didn't go out on Spanish national team duty. Like the guys who didn't go on, on, on international duty, they, they're the ones that kind of have to start other than Pedri and De Young because they're, yeah, but again, now you're out of midfielders. <laughs> so you're asking yeah. Fermin Lopez to come back from U21 and say, hey, you're going to start over Pedri against Rio. And I mean, that to me, that kind of game management, it's not even individual games. It's game management over the course of a season. That is where Xavi and everybody, all these top managers have their biggest problems. Yeah, I mean, squad management is, is, is pretty crazy and you have to take uh, care of these things. And of course, I understand that Xavi has a team that kind of knows where his players, you know, have the amount of minutes, of course, they have, the amount of physical maybe output they've provided and they have to somehow manage this but in the end as much as they try and figure it out we see all these injuries anyway so it's pretty complicated in the end that's why we end up depending on as we said on Gabi playing so much on Pedri playing so much on Lamin potentially playing so much and ideally in a perfect world yeah we would give Lamin not too many minutes you know enough obviously we'll give him playing football time etc but taking care not to uh, affect his body because in the end it's an age where they're still developing uh, physically you know they're, they're still a lot to grow and 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 of course if you if they get injured during this period of time you're putting a, a halt to that and it's affecting uh their future development and it's 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 kind of a, a puzzle basically for a manager to actually figure these things out sometimes you've got to take risk and you've got to play players because you consider that this match you need yeah. three points and maybe for example he thinks that against atletico madrid there's no chance of getting three points and he'll play them against rayo because he sees those three points feasible and maybe it doesn't pay out the way he expected and you lose against Rayo and then suddenly you perform better. I mean, it, it's really complicated. That's why a manager has so much to deal with. And I think we're not aware sometimes from the outside because as fans, we're watching, we're enjoying football, but we don't realize under so much pressure that the that managers actually happen. So many things they have to deal with. And just imagine how crazy it was what Pep Guardiola did that he even took his time to make sure that they each had their own specific diets and, you know, all that kind of stuff and how meticulous he was. And that's why that makes him one of the best managers in the history of the sport because, you know, he's taken up every single detail and made sure it all works out perfectly and, you know, probably spends, I won't say 24 hours, but maybe 18 hours a day figuring things out and playing for football and for his team. So, I mean, it's very complicated. And as you said, um, 
uh, you can never really figure it out the perfect way and you have to try and take care of ones and take care of the others but I mean what can we say it's it's football and in the end sometimes it's a little misstep that injures you you know maybe you've been you're physically at your best and you know just by mistake you twist your ankle you twist your knee and it all goes mm-hmm. down the drain by a simple bad gesture which was pure un- unfortunate yeah 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 I mean I think like what are some major things like for me? I mean, I'd, I'd love it if the RFEF was able to say, Hey, if they're a teenager or under the age of whatever, you limit their minutes to 2800, right? Like, like if you're, if you're, yeah, under, under the age of 18, well, say, yeah, 19, but you know, but under the age of 18, you can't pay more than yeah. whatever, 20, 2200 minutes if you're a 16 year old or 28 if you're whatever. But not only can they not do that, but then I do think back, you know, we're going four seasons where, Pedri for Las Palmas in the second division. Like he was their best player. Without their best player, who was 16 years old at the time, Las Palmas couldn't really even fight for making the first division. And I think about Celta last season and who they are this year with without Gabriel Viega, who was, what was he, 17 or 17, 19? You know, he's 19. Yeah, he's a little older. He's 21 now. But so he wouldn't really apply. But you get the point, right? When one of your most influential yeah, players, yeah, yeah. 18, 19 years old, 17 years old, which does happen now in Spain because they just don't have the finances to bring in all of these top level talent. So these clubs are relying on their academies and you just can't put a cap on, Hey, that's your best player, but we're going to limit his time because of his future, which likely is not at your club. I mean, that's the other thing too. I, I know we keep going on this, but like Vita Roque in Brazil. And there was a wonderful thing. I'm trying to think who was it on, on YouTube. I saw HTIC, uh, whoever that is. Like he did a thing, a big long video essay on, uh, on Brazilians and why they burn out so quickly. But it is true about like young Brazilians are playing way too much football in the Brazilian league at too young of an age. So, I mean, you're, you're looking at Vita Roque. He's already p- played something like 5,000 first team minutes and he's still just 18 years old. And, and I mean, that's horrifying, right? That's like you're saying to yeah. Vita, Vita Roque, like in total club minutes throughout his, season, his career, he will likely by 27, 28 hit the same number that Phil Foden will hit at 34. And that's the timeline we're talking about with these young Brazilians. So that is a concern. That is a worry. And that's why even if Idaroki comes in January, I'm not throwing him right into the fire. I'm letting him kind of, we'll say roast a little bit or braise. That's the right word of the cooking term. Let him braise a bit, you know, and, and, and see where you can fit him in because he's already played so many minutes as, as a young player. And, and but again, they're in these Brazilian clubs. They don't have to not play their player because they want them to get sold for the greatest amount of money. So the more exposure they get and the better they become by playing first team minutes, the higher that price tag goes up. So they're incentivized to play their teenagers as long as they possibly can. So again, you can't tell these smaller, smaller clubs, you can't play your players because then they don't get to sell them at premium costs. And that helps them function. And that helps them stay up in these first divisions. Like that is the business of football. So, okay, we could do an hour on the business of football, but let's get out of here. So what do you have cooking? And of course, I... I we know where to find you, but what have you been working on this season? Well, this season especially, we're, we're um, putting most of our efforts into our Substack, uh, llonline.substack.com, where, of course, uh, if anyone can put, I think it's like five euros, five dollars a month, or, or maybe even a bit less, uh, we provide content uh, practically every day of the week, uh, podcasts, uh, articles on La Liga, of course, Spanish football in general, also talk about national teams sometimes, so... If anyone who's interested in, in following us, not just for Barca, of course, we talk about all teams uh, in La Liga. You're welcome to, to join us and, and read us and hopefully they'll enjoy our content. Yep. I always tell you that it's not just about Barcelona, right? There's a reason why Hadafe gives Barcelona a fight. Maybe it's best to learn why yeah, exactly. Hadafe 
has uh, the fight in them. And instead of just saying that Barcelona should roll over everybody, <laughs> that's not the case. So, yes, uh, of course, a Liga lowdown for him. And you can follow all of that through uh, his social media down in the show notes or down in the uh, down in the description below, wherever you're either watching this or listening. But thank you so much for either watching or listening to this one. And thank you for joining me again for this one. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.